There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. I'm Michael Adams, not here with Andrew Paskin. We've got a very special guest this week, but uh, I'm not going to spoil that yet because I've got a couple of errata notes from our last chapter. Uh, I mentioned that in Fatty Vorton's book, he said that the idea that Queensland had more spirit than New South Wales was a myth. I misspoke. It was actually Gordon Tallis's book. Uh, and th- this is just embarrassing. I said that Wayne Bartram scored the try of the year against Canberra in the 95 semifinals. Of course, it was the 96 semifinals. I watched that clip that very day, as I start most days watching that clip, so I'm very aware it was the 96 finals. Uh, Apologies there. And let's move on and get straight into it. My guest this week, James Smith, uh, now former editor of Inside Sport, rugby league journalist, mandatory Twitter follow at James Smith. 1001. That's correct. Uh, uh, James, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Michael. It's, I'm so pumped to be on this show. Oh, good. It's like footy nerd heaven <laughs> for me, so it's terrific. <laughs> uh, so I, I met you about a year, about this time last year. I think it was the Newtown Jets season launch. And, yeah. you know, we'd had a couple of interactions on Twitter. I thought but... you were going to say we had a couple of rushes. And... <laughs> well, you did that too. But, uh, so I, I met you in the flesh for the first time, and, and my takeaway was like, Wow, this guy is a massive rugby league nerd. <laughs> and as a fellow rugby league nerd, I yeah. immediately felt a kinship. <laughs> Should we set a date? Or... <laughs> no, no. It's um my rugby league nerdness delves right into the retroness of it, the seventies and eighties. Yeah. I don't know why. I think um during my my university degree, um which you know, that touched on nostalgia and that kind of thing and you, you have nostalgia for when you were, you know, at, as a kid because that's such a happy time in your mm. life, and and footy was just really taking off back then. So, yeah, I think that's 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 why I've gone down that path, kind of thing. So, just to set this episode up, the reason I wanted uh, to bring you in and to have this chat is over the course of this uh, Super League research, it's really stood out to me that there's a lot that hasn't been told, and certain teams you just don't get very much on at all so we've had chapters on specific teams we've got more chapters coming down the line but when i think about a team like a, like the panthers there just wasn't that much there in all the research notes i've collated on when they signed why they signed and all the rest of it so i thought i would lean on your experience both as uh, someone who's been in the game for a long time now but also as a fan so i want to start with the latter and and get your experiences growing up with the Panthers and okay. how did that all start? Yeah, so um, originally um, I supported the Parramatta Eels when I was a real little kid, six, seven, eight, however 
however old I was. Um, and I remember the 1986 grand final as I was a para fan. I was, you know, in front of the TV at my pop's house and dad took me over there just to, it was a big day just to watch the footy and had the Parramatta um, jersey on and stuff. And, you know, as young and as um, impressionable as I was, uh, they after the 86 grand final, they sort of had a bit of a, a period where they started to, you know, go on a downward spiral. And when you're 11, 12, you know, you don't want to be following a loser club. You, you know, you, you start to wander. And, and besides, like, around about that time was when Dad started taking me to the footy and my uncles and... Um, and my cousins, we'd all go to Penrith. So I've got, you know, my favourite team was Parramatta and I was constantly going to these Penrith games. So that that was slowly, you know, burning away as well. And then Penrith made the green final in 1990 and um, my mum hates rugby league. She still does to this day. Like, you know, loves loves us blokes being together down at their place and watching the games but just hates the game. Anyway, we watched the 1990 grand final in our Mount Pleasant house in Penrith. And I remember how heartbroken she was. <laughs> and I still get goosebumps with it. She was just like, oh, what a, what a shame. And it was it did something to me. It, it sort of, I felt really bad for the for the area of Penrith. And like we moved down to the Southern Highlands the next the next year, 1991 it was. And I don't know, it's just a bit, bit of a way of me taking Penrith with me. And, and I'd already known the, 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 you know, the players and who they were and watched them every week anyway. So the transition wasn't that great. But, yeah, it was, it was actually my mum who hates rugby league who really was the, the nail in it, sort of speak, as to you know, me yeah, gradually gravitating to the Panthers. Yeah, yeah. oh, that's awesome. And <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure helped by what an awesome team that was, like yeah. all these great players coming of age obviously the premiership the next year uh pressing question for you yep chocolate soldiers or dada uh chocolate soldiers yeah that's that, that's the identity of the club i so wish that they go back to it for heritage and retro jersey days but i so wish the club colors were brown and white it's not only the that's the character of the club all the rest of it yeah it's just such a unique color scheme and, and yeah <laughs> I, I think it's brilliant yeah. I think they're great jerseys. There's a brilliant awfulness to it all. Yeah, yeah. And it just works. Yeah. I also like those soccer style jerseys they had in the seventies yeah. in the, the brown and white thin stripes. That's right, yeah. That's it. They were like in the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mike Stevenson and yeah. all those sort of people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But let's I, I don't want to go too deep on this. Yep. But it it feels like some, as someone who, you know, didn't really have a connection to Penrith, the area, the team, or or anything, it feels like there was no real identity to that team before this era. Um, there was, but Penrith was just so far out of sight, out of mind of, of so many Sydney rugby league people. I, I reckon that there's a there's a there's a working class identity to it, and you can see that when you go to the games to this day, like you know, mum and dad and. You know, with, with the kids there, they're switching off from work. Yeah, and people like to attach the working classness to you know teams like the Magpies of the era, but it was just the same out out at Penrith. Yeah, that, that's a geographical thing as well. Like yeah, just just where it was. And um, I remember um, you mentioned a comment that Tim Sheens made um, on your show a few months ago about um, Penrith not being 
perhaps treated the same way as the Sydney clubs, mm. whereas a lot of people still consider Penrith a Sydney team. And, and I don't. I, I consider them – it's its own city, Penrith. Yeah. You, yeah. Like you go out there, you spend over an hour in the car driving along – you know, the highway, there's bushland for 20, 30 minutes. It doesn't feel like Sydney at all. Yeah. Yeah, but that's just my take on it. Yeah, yeah no, I, my uh, brother lives a, a bit north of them or in the, the Richmond area. Yep. Yep. But I drive past cows to get to his house. I'm like, <laughs> you drive past cows, we're not in Sydney anymore. <laughs> it's a good, good rationale. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I think what you've spoken about there, the fact that Penrith are kind of forgotten and there's a very uh, – in a city snobbery about the outer suburbs or whatever you want to call Penrith. And I know because I certainly felt that snobbery growing up in the inner West. Uh, I, I think that maybe accounts for why there's so comparatively little written about the Penrith aspect of the Super League war. I, I was actually the recipient of some research notes from you for this episode, which was a thrill for me as someone who's regularly handing out research notes. Yeah. Uh, to get something to read. And, and it was striking how many articles were coming from local papers. Oh, um, the, the Western Weekender and the Penrith Press were all over it. I've never seen coverage of of an issue by a local paper like it. Yeah. There was these two, two um, local titles. I don't know whether they were competing against each other. Maybe they were, but every angle was covered. Um, yeah, it, it was really good at the time for sure. So we are going to spend some time on the Super League aspect of it and hopefully fill a gap that uh, I haven't been able to put into our series to date. <laughs> but since I do have you here, I, yeah. I did want to circle back on some of the things we've talked about already and maybe get your perspective as a fan and also someone who's now interviewed some of these blokes and had yeah. you know a lot to do with it in a professional sense. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to start with was was Ben Alexander and the ripple effect that had on that team. Uh, do you have any opening thoughts on on that time? Oh, it was it was like devastating for the whole community. It was like um because at the time Benrith was um it called, I called it working class and it was a real haven for working class families. Got their bit of land, got their bit of Australia and they you know all these suburbs are popping up. Life's great. I remember um Brad Fittler at the time his attitude was, how good's this? Like, we're at Penrith, we're playing footy and, and you know, um, the suburbs were, were starting to rise. And, and, then, and then that happened. Um, and it, it absolutely crushed the whole uh, community. Um, and I don't think, I, I don't think the area really truly got over it. You don't think of Ben Alexander um, for his football ability because we didn't really see much of him you think of how sad it all was and, yeah and it still is and as someone i lost a brother in 2002 in a car accident oh, you, you don't get over that sort of stuff no. and i don't think the whole district um uh has either um i remember that how like you guys handled that episode so classily you know where you just went into um a bit of, bit of a potted history of that time and you were talking about brandy alexander and the fact it was his brother and he looked like a broken man, et cetera. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was nodding my head throughout that whole thing because it really reflected, you know, how the area of Penrith felt as well. So yeah, it was interesting. Oh, it means a lot to know that we have hopefully done it some justice. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Going over, I, you know, in preparation for this, I went back over the research notes uh, we had for that segment. Yeah. And probably about only 
only a small percentage of, of what we had in the notes actually made it to air. And there was so much that I was reading through today that was just horrific, like stuff we didn't talk about and stuff I don't necessarily want it to go into tonight. But yeah. my main takeaway, which I think we expressed at the time, was that there's there was just not going to be a coming back from that. I don't think that team, that club, the game at the time was equipped to be able to handle something like that and, and somehow rise up again. Yeah, um, it was interesting watching all those big names eventually leave the club. Um, no one could really blame anyone who left because, you know, it's 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 just, it, it was a massive crease um, in the club's history and uh, it wasn't it wasn't bad air or anything, but it was just it was just part of a really horrific time and and yeah, it was like a changing changing period for the club in in the early nineties. So the the big tragedy as well was how close it came. And this sounds insensitive, but we had the ninety one premiership, and then we only got to enjoy it for a few years, and then absolute tragedy struck the area. A few months. A few months was yeah. it? Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah, that 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 was that particularly like stays in my mind as far as how devastating it was yeah. for, for the Penrith district. And I think Penrith as a club handled it very badly, but I, that's yeah. but that's not assigning blame to Penrith. I think that was just the culture of the game at the time, and you know, in some respects, probably Australian society as a whole. Yeah. But Brandy MG shouldn't have been anywhere near a football field for the rest of 1992. The fact that MG was sacked by the Panthers within a couple of weeks of it happening. And, and you can understand that he was probably a, a complete nightmare before and after Ben's death at that point yeah. in his life. Yeah. It didn't come out of nowhere, and in some ways he didn't give them a choice. But you'd hope today there would be the proper processes in place, grief counselling and, and all the rest of it that just wasn't really considered then. Yeah, yeah. I, I particularly remember um, John Cartwright making sure that he played in that game after um, after it happened. Um, it was against Western Suburbs out at Arana Park and they wore those god-awful white jerseys because um, it was an away game. And I was just, I'd never forget how, like thinking how hard that must have mm. been. And But it was all, you know, I was just guessing, but it was likely all about the doing it for, you know, for your mate yeah. and 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 that but um oh well everybody grieves differently don't no, they no yeah that that's the, the t- yeah. tired line but they do don't they if if footy at the time helped them um get through that awful week awful fortnight etc then yeah they, they well that's exactly it it's it's getting through that week and yeah, it, it's yeah. the easiest thing in the world to put everything together for that one game yeah and you know do it for your mate and and all the rest of it it's what comes after that that's right that no one's really ready for yeah i mean i've heard an analogy by several footy players over the years that for them the safest place and the most private place in the world is on the field mm. they can't be touched so maybe yeah. that had something to do with yeah. it as well yeah but my other takeaway from doing that research was there was an air of inevitability in that team falling apart regardless of the tragedy. Like MG was off the rails. Ben Alexander himself was, you know, didn't mind a party. Uh, there was disharmony with MG and Gus and Ben Alexander and Gus. We'd heard John Cartwright and Brandy not talking for a year over 
a, a disagreement about a girl, yeah. a, a sense that there were cliques forming within the club. And I, I don't, and maybe that could have been salvaged, but you just feel that it, it was it was spiralling anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, that whole sort of big fish in a, in a little pond sort of aspect to it all, like we're premiership winners now, we're heroes, every man sort of became an island kind of thing and, and you know, don't talk to me like that. And, yeah, yeah, it's it was just a, a, an awful storm of events and, and um, yeah, as I said before, you can't really blame, you know, identities for leaving when they did because no. there had to be a bit of a, yeah. a, a reset button somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, it, it was the, the probably the lost dynasty of the 90s with the amount of young talent coming together at the, the same time coming into their peak form. Yeah. And when you look at – so I went and had a, this we can probably save to the end, but yeah. when I looked at the squad that they had in, in 96 where they finished 15th, like it was a very ordinary squad, like such a fall from just a few years before. Yeah, I often wonder, like, I know he kept playing, but what happened to blokes like Paul Smith? I think he went ended up at West. Greg Barwick, um, Paul Nobby Clark, I think he went to Parramatta. And, yeah, all these different storylines from what looked like at the time to be such a tight unit, such a you know bunch of lads who mm. enjoyed each other's company. Yeah, like, I mean, imagine the magic that Steve Carter and Freddie could have could have yeah. had together, you know, if they kept on, on going and... Yeah, it kind of took them another four or five years to to have the team that would go on and win it in two thousand and three. Yeah, and and even like two thousand and three, that was that seems like such a, a long gap, and it's been such a long gap again between o three and, and and the next premiership that we're chasing. Because it's funny that o three team, completely different circumstances, of course. Oh yeah, but it was a a similar meteoric rise and fall and they yeah. they were they won the comp unexpectedly but they were when you look at that team why wouldn't they they won that comp yeah. like they had a gun team but a lot of those those young blokes never went on with it like we thought they would yeah yeah it is, it is a, a shame but yeah i, th- I think a, a lot of times passed since then and mm. yeah lots of peaks and troughs to come yet no doubt well well that uh brings me to the next thing i wanted to talk about which was freddie yeah. and especially Freddie in the context of Super League, obviously yeah. went and signs with the ARL, which eventually forces him to leave the Panthers uh, and end up at Easts. Yeah. My sense is that he was gone regardless. Regardless of the war, I think he, he would have ended up leaving the Panthers and most probably ended up back with Gus. Um, I totally agree. Um, and I don't know how much I'm spoiling... Um the in the latter parts of, of the episode but and that that was kind of the um the impression at the time of the of the club board and, and the executive you know to not consider fitler going as you know the main reason as to why we should hang around the arl because at the time you've got penrith who you know had very little and that was when all, all the you know the sydney city roosters were starting to form and manly um with its sort of crusher hold on on a lot of the talent, so they they sort of, you know, reckoned that they they wouldn't have stood a chance to hold on to, yeah, a bloke like Brad Fittler in, yeah. in any way. Yeah, totally agree with that. And I think beyond the money, there's there's something that goes back to Ben and the way he handled it uh, compared to others. And again, this isn't blaming anyone, but yeah. his attitude was to keep playing footy. He won Dalian Centre of the Year in '92. After all of this, you know, he ended up winning 
the same award the next year, one lock, 94, became a stalwart of the, the New South Wales and Australian teams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kane was, you know, was coming on to his peak form at the same time that the team was starting to go downwards and, and members of it were struggling. Mm. You can see him deciding to go to go with Gus and to go to the Roosters. There's something inevitable about it in that he was one of the best players of the world and he can't be hanging out with this basket case. <laughs> yeah, and added to it as well, they'd already won a premiership, so it wasn't as if, you know, local boy leads club to, to the grand final. Yeah, that had already happened. He'd done it. You know. Yeah, and, and that's what I find in a lot of cases too. A grand final can really relieve relieve a lot of pressure. And sort of it's it's the end of a story in a in a lot of ways. Like mm. yeah, um that that had already happened. Yeah. We yeah, he was in the centres. We we won with with Brad Fittler and funny thing too, nobody ever talks about um, the 03 green final when Penrith came up against Freddie's side. Yeah, yeah. That he captained. And, yeah. Yeah, it's just that wrapped everything up into a nice yeah. little bow for me. I'd, that's why I'm not really, you know, bitter about the whole Freddie thing because it sort of all, all worked out in the end if you're a Penrith fan that way. Yeah. The thing I'm bitter about uh, <laughs> as a non-Penrith fan yeah. is how entrenched he is with the Roosters. Yeah. Like he barely even talks about the Panthers. He's yeah. always wearing like Roosters colours on his tie. You know, he did win a comp with Penrith. He grew up there. He played almost as many years there as he did with the Roosters, but he seems to be a Roosters man through and through. <laughs> Changed my mind. What a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. I've never noticed that. Yeah. And on on that, there, I had a hypothetical for you as well. Oh, yeah. So let's say he does go to Super League and stays with Penrith. Yep. His decision to sign with the ARL gave him the captaincy before his time, before he was ready, but it did prepare him for it did help turn him into the leader he became yeah. the maturity took a few years but it still put him on a path where is his career if he signs with super league and stays with the panthers do you think that leadership and maturity would have come inevitably yeah probably i mean you can't be 15 forever can you like yeah yeah, yeah probably he would have i mean he would have been the 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 Brandy or the Roy Simmons in that regard like that that would have been him yeah um and so many people would have been looking up to him out out of Penrith that that role just would have yeah yeah he just would have gravitated to that role anyway so I guess he does I was thinking more he'd be behind in the pecking order in representative football okay yeah but but yeah he still would have became that leader at Penrith and. Yeah. Yeah. Is that behind in the pecking order in the rep scene because of the whole city versus Penrith sort of Oh no, I just mean because if he went to Super League and still had Daly and Stewart oh, that's in, true. in front of him, you know. Yeah, and maybe that was a massive thing for him as well with signing with the ARL. The fact that he, he was going to be the number one player. There was Chief Harrigan, I think we were talking about last yeah. uh, last week as well. But yeah, you yeah, you're quite right. Yeah. But I, I do think you're right that ultimately I I don't think much changes. I think the fact that he was able to put all the the stuff going on behind the scenes at Penrith and yeah. and turn up on the field every week suggests that he always had it in him. Definitely. And then there's also, not to step on Jared McCracken's corner, but at a certain point, Hal has to ditch false stuff and become King Henry, you know. To see it. <laughs> I, I think he would have got there. Yeah, for sure. But he did follow his mentor, Gus, who left the Panthers in... Mixed circumstances in 1994, I think it was still a lot of that. There wasn't too much blame at the time. I think everyone was aware that the situation was falling apart and 
something had to change. Mm. But then there was a, a bit of acrimony with, with Graham Richardson saying that he took Gus with him to try to get Penrith to sign with the ARL uh, and found that uh, Roger Cowan hated Gus and it, it was a bad move. So, right? Wow. Yeah. All yeah. these little, yeah, little, little sideshows going on, <laughs> wasn't it? So obviously some acrimony there. Uh, I've got to ask you wh- where you are with, with Gus. Um, Gus back then or Gus now? Or, or Both, just all of it, yeah. There's this weird um, philosophy amongst people who aren't Penrith fans that Penrith people hate Gus. I saw it, like, you know, for the last couple of years on, on places like Twitter, like, oh, they must hate him. They'd be counting down the days till they get rid of him. And I don't think people understand how, like, what sort of situation the Penrith organisation was in before Gus came along? Like there was no, there was there was a junior league organisation, but it wasn't doing what it should be, and it wasn't developing and, and identifying talent from all the way up the back of the line and bringing it right through. Whereas now it does, um, and yeah, he, I can't speak highly enough of what he did for the club. That that academy out there um, is just a magnificent facility. It's. There's a real system to it, um, stretches right out past the Blue Mountains to, you know, the districts where, you know, Penrith has about a dozen branches of it, of its mm. leagues club. So they they come in from everywhere, from the junior leagues, the really top players. Like, can you imagine how good that junior base is if it's been diluted from, you know, so many hundreds or so many tens of thousands of, of juniors? So they all start training in the Jersey flag team up one end of the academy. There's a special field where they're, where only they're allowed to train. Then there's all the facilities in the middle, you know, meeting rooms and massage and medical and gym and stuff. And up the other end is where the um, first grade team mm-hmm. trains. So there's a real, like a, a career sort of aim about the whole thing and it keeps people motivated. Um, it, yeah, it wasn't just him. It was the whole Penrith staff that really bought into what Gus was trying to do. So, yeah, I mean, and when he left, you know, you got to leave sometime. And there wasn't really much more that, that, that he could do apart from, you know, watch, watch it go around and around again. Like, the system was in place. Well, I think that uh, when we were doing the, the weekly show, that was one of our big criticisms. Well, we've got a lot of criticisms. Of, <laughs> we've yeah. got a lot of criticisms of I'll, Gus. I've but, heard. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of his role there at Penrith, yeah. one of our big criticisms was he took the idea of a development club to an extreme where it was producing players and continually being happy to see them go and have successful careers elsewhere. I like remember, yeah, I remember your line at the time. It was, "Why don't you develop some trophies?" <laughs> <laughs> One of you said that. I, I laughed at that. I thought that was quite funny. But yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. But it's still, there's still a magic to winning it, like a premiership. Everything still has to go completely right. Yeah. I don't know whether you can really sit down at the start of the year and and have yeah but you put a, a heading at the top of the butcher's paper let's win the grand final yeah. and this is how we're going to do it yeah this doesn't work that way mm. but oh well the roosters have done it twice in a row so whatever they're doing is working but yeah yeah that, that, that's understandable yeah what are we doing here if if we're not here to win premierships yeah i get that yeah but overall my, my biggest lament about gus is for the career we could have had based on where he's ended up just not like his playing career you mean or? well he's i'm not talking about his playing career although a, a lot of people had big raps on yeah, him as a he player he retired early didn't he he retired early he had a lot of injury pro- problems but you had people yeah. like frank hyde and a few others i can't think of now but mm. there was a lot of talk about what a smart footballer he was yeah 
But then coming straight into coaching, winning two comps at two different clubs by the time he was, you know, 31, 32, yeah. within three or four years of coaching, an amazing achievement. Obviously, he's an incredible football brain. We could see that with the commentator he was when he started. Yeah. With his newspaper columns all the way through into the early 2000s, I remember that point. I couldn't stand hearing his voice, but I loved reading his columns. And okay. I thought he was genuinely one of the best analysts going around. Yeah. And I feel we've just somewhere along the way, and I, I maintain it started with Super League yeah. and the boost in power that that gave him. He just seems to be so consumed by ego and self-interest and it filters through into every aspect of the way he carries himself. I hear it pushing his agenda all the time. Yeah. I, I don't want to go on about Cuss for 20 minutes. I'm just <laughs> mounting my case against. Yeah. Just the agenda he pushes in his commentary, uh, it, it just really does my head in. Do you reckon it would make things better if um, he'd actually stuck to coaching a lot longer? Because that's where you ultimately should be judged as someone yeah. like Gus Gould. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is quite – it is a lot easier to – sit on the sidelines and commentate like Peter Sterling has openly, you know, said that his whole career, his whole post playing career. It's, this is a lot easier what yeah. I do. Yeah. And, and we could have used him like during that streak. Um, you know, imagine, imagine what mentorship he could have given that, albeit, you know, um, that team was never going to be as talented as a Queensland streak team. But imagine if Gus was there. Maybe he was there. I don't know, but I see your point. I, yeah. I just thought of something then. <laughs> our, our last episode was the, the Queenslander episode, the 1995 Origin series. Yeah. Gus's only defeat as a coach in Origin was that series. <laughs> no one was expecting to Queensland to win. Yeah. By his own admission, he was relaxed and didn't coach in the way you needed to coach Origin. Mm. During that that Queensland streak of a few years ago, the perfect opportunity to exact his revenge, going in from the other side with no one believing in him, ragtag bunch, all the rest of it. Yeah. Like it, it was set up for him, but <laughs> but he couldn't because he was doing the role of pre pre game speech yeah. in front of the goalposts and stuff. Which I got to say, I do I do miss those soliloquies. <laughs> yeah, I, I um. Like listening to last week's show, I always thought that Tommy Radonikus was the coach of New South Wales during that time. Yeah, which is, yeah. <laughs> it suits it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. When did he come in? It must have been the next year. Oh, okay. Yeah, because Gus – oh, wait. Gus might have had one more year. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, definitely 97. Yeah. I think 97 was Cattle Dog. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, 97 was. I think so. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and you did um, answer one of those questions that I had. Um, Gus was – pretty much in the bunk of a, for ARL, wasn't he, during 95 as yeah, well. So yeah. maybe he just thought, oh, yeah, I can coach this on autopilot. Yeah, you know, yeah. Who's Wayne Bartram, who's Ben Eichen anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, 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 maybe maybe that was the case. Mm. But I think your, you know, admiration for Phil Gould is the same with, with me and Wayne Bennett. And, I mean, I, I admire Wayne Bennett anyway, but yeah. just as a Dragons fan... There's a lot of a lot of Dragons fans who aren't happy with him because of the the way he left the club, the, the shambles he left us in, uh, all, all the ego you've seen in the years since. Yeah. But I'm like, he won us a comp. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. Free I, pass for life. You won us a comp. You know? I consider that to be yeah. yeah. That fixes everything. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I don't know. Maybe 
maybe I'm a little bit deluded in, in my you know comments about Gus, but yeah, he he's had two stints at the club now. He had, yeah, he won us a comp and got us back or helped get us back into a real stable position. Yeah. When when you're making prelims, which I th- I think did he get you to two prelims in in this last incarnation? No, we we had three years in a row where we made the second week of the semis. Yeah, and they right. got bundled out. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but but even that that's a massive change to what we yeah. used to have. Um, in 2019 we finished tenth, mm. and everyone was devastated. So is that that's a good spot to be in? Yeah, you know you're not two spots away from the eight. You know, your what a disgraceful season. Yeah, what yeah. went wrong, sort yeah. of thing. So yeah, sort of glad that that's the case. Yeah. So that's probably a good point to jump in on Super League and uh, what Penrith did. And of course, they signed with Super League, became the ninth Super League franchise. Mm. Uh, it wasn't until May that they played their hand. I think the place to start with this is to give the context, and a lot of that context does come down to that anti-Western suburbs kind of bias. I think that played a significant part, and I'm I'm going predominantly off your research notes here, (laughs) that seemed to play quite an outsized role in Penrith deciding to go to Super League. Do you want to speak on that? Yeah, um, and and where that came from was um, Penrith was a little bit, um, not a little bit, but they were really concerned at the future of of, of their club. Um, I don't know whether whether you've touched on it in your series before, but do you remember a, a criteria being made um, by the ARL? This was leading up to, I mean, there were even discussions that the ARL was going to run the Super League. They um they listed all the clubs in in a certain criteria: crowd, city size, blah blah blah. And of the twenty that were around, South were down the bottom, of course. Then there was Norths, and then then there was Penrith. Um, such a massive club to be that far down they were worried about you know what was going to happen to them yeah they were really worried about you know the, the fact that if they stayed with the ARL and they signed with them twice you know they were ex- they were really an extra ARL team they signed with them twice so they started to think well you know yes we're with them but that just means that the ARL has all our players now like we know that they don't think of us too much out at Broken Hill out here you know what's what what's really in it for us and i think that was the real catalyst of um uh, for the decision the ultimate decision to sign uh with super league so it's funny when you say sign with the arl twice you're talking yeah. about the november and february loyalty agreements yeah yeah that everybody else signed as well everybody else signed but you you've hit on something there where a lot of clubs the sydney clubs saw those loyalty agreements and the five year reprieve it gave them yeah as some kind of like a life raft and relax, we're not going to get merged. Whereas Penrith seemed to be the only club that was going, hang on, what are they going to do here? We're not going to have 20 clubs in a, in a few years. Yeah. What happens to Penrith? That's right. And um, I don't want to spoil um, too much of what you've got coming up, but when I, I interviewed Roy Simmons in 2018 and that was his direct absolute biggest fear that um, the Panthers were going to get merged with a Wests or a Parramatta. Um, the whole thing was about keeping Penrith, you know, as a as a it's its own identity. So, yeah. And it's funny it, it gets brought up to this day merging Penrith and Parramatta. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Parramatta know. is closer to Bondi Beach yeah. than it is to Penrith. Yeah. Brookvale Oval is closer to Shark Park than Penrith is to Campbelltown, <laughs> and yet all we've heard for twenty five years is, oh yeah, Penrith and West could merge. 
Penrith, Parramatta, why don't we merge all three and just have the, the big Western Sydney team? Yeah, yeah. Why don't we merge all three and then three of the inner city clubs? We'll leave them for the. You yeah. Know, yeah, I think it's, it's the it's the P sound. It's the yeah. It's the cool colours of mm. of Parramatta and it's the Panther logo and yeah. I don't know. It makes no sense because both. Both centres are ginormous rugby yeah. league centres in themselves. So they'll never merge. Not now anyway, but, no. you know, there was a fear back then yeah. in a day that they that there was a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. South Sydney and, and East live in adjoining terraces, but <laughs> they're good. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah, the possibility of those two joining, that, that's a ridiculous idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think I, I, I can hit on this because it was that was my perception growing up, like, Anything west of, I don't know, but Parramatta was like, Parramatta, wow, that is so far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you were west of Parramatta, I mean, I mean it, was just, it was just all this great expanse. I had no concept of, of what it was like to be out there. <laughs> um, and people in Penrith know that. They know what, what Sydney people think of them. So, yeah, it's still, still like that to this day. Yeah. But it's funny that I don't know whether this was from the Western Weekend or the Penrith Press, but there was an article where it was talking about them after they'd signed with Super League as uh, being their, their likely Super League name being the Western Sydney Panthers. Yeah, and that's that scared a lot of people because you know they, they wanted Penrith to remain uh, in the team name. Yeah, um, I, I thought that as well. Like I thought, yeah, you, you have all these you have all these thoughts, and you try and you know, rationalise it however you can. Oh, at least they're still going to be called the Panthers then, and, but it would have been awful. It yeah. Would have been, I mean, it's awful now with Western Sydney Giants and or greater Western Sydney Giants and the Wanderers. Not that I follow either of those two games, but what a generic name. Yeah. Western Sydney is basically the whole of Sydney, really. Yeah. <laughs> Population-wise. Yeah. But on the plus side, and, and I don't know, I, I tend to agree that they, they dodged a bullet by not making that change. Yeah. But the case for it, I can see is that it would have given them that identity as the Western Sydney team, that no other club has really been able to, you know, plant that flag and grab that identity. And I yeah. think Penrith, with the multicultural background, with the huge junior base, yeah, like they were a club that could have been primed to grab that territory. Yeah, fair enough. I yeah. mean, I, again, I, I, I think it's for the best the way it worked out. Yeah. But it, it, it does worry me the way the West Tigers don't seem to have really captured the imagination of South West Sydney. You mean like out Campbelltown yeah. Way and that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and that's, well, look at Super Rugby. There's no identity no. To, to their team. So yeah. just do what they're doing. Do the opposite of what they're doing and we should be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned Royce being the driving force and, and being the one that could see all this happening. Yeah. It was striking to me that he had to actually approach Super League yeah, I was and get the ball rolling. I was wondering what you thought of that because as I was reading it, I was I was, I was thinking this this is going to come across as Royce thinks that he you know that he organised the whole thing and I don't know maybe he did maybe he was the driving force I don't know. So again, I couldn't get much on this, yeah. and the only thing that I really found was Freddie being told about Super League before April 1st by Royce. Right. So I think that that might have happened before all of this. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe he's made an approach to Super League in an informal sense. Yeah. But certainly there seemed to be no 
no pressing concern on the part of Super League to sign up Penrith. No, no, and and, and that, that again, um, nor from you know the ARL either. Um, I was going through the, um, the the book Men in Black um, just um, you know a few nights ago, and there was a quote from Roger Cowan. It's a pull quote, and he you know, says you know that for a time there we didn't hear from either side. So, so I think you know Royce must have known that and and thought, oh, well, we've got to do something here to make sure that we stay as our own club. So. Yeah, he must have reached out to them then, yeah. My favourite part in your interview with Royce was when it, it came to the time of negotiations and yeah. he was speaking to the recruiters and they were asking him what this player was worth and he was like, oh, I've got to look after my boys yeah. and it'd be some like, you know, junior on 20 grand and he'd be like, oh, yeah, he's worth about 80 grand, you know, yeah. think he's done him this huge favour. Yeah. The kid would go into the meeting come out, Royce, and say, like, what'd you get? And he goes, oh, 200 grand. That's amazing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, when he said that, he said it so, you know, um, flatly as well. And, and um, but that, that led to a real greater problem later on for the club when, you know, the ARL and Super League got back together. The, the salary cap came crashing back down. Yeah. So you had all these players running around thinking they were heroes, thinking they were worth a quarter of a million dollars, and none of them accepted the fact that they weren't. So, yeah, you had all these... Um, players running around between different clubs and yeah. he said that was a massive challenge that makes the 03 win even more unique because so Royce found himself with um really not much to not much room to work with he it wasn't the strongest squad to start with and now they're all all the salaries are boosted up so that left him with you know really less room to to move than what he had a couple of years ago and that's where you know, the scouring, the um, combing of the local leagues came in and mm. ended up with blokes like Luke Lewis and Luke Rooney and, you know, um, Swain and Craig Gower. It just, it was, it was a massive relief that there's this little generation of Panthers players that was ready to come up because otherwise anything could have happened. We could have spent another five, ten years down the bottom. Yeah. And John Lane gave Royce a lot of credit when he won in 03, didn't he? Oh, he sure did. He said... um I, I, that's that's the, my main memory from that 03 green final um, at the press conference. John Lang, Lang sits down and one of the, the first question was, the, you know, dreary, obligatory, how good was that, John? And John said, before we all get too excited, I just want to acknowledge the work of Roy Simmons who built this built this team. Like, what a, what a bloke. Oh, what an absolute champion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's... You know, you can joke about Roy Simmons all you like. He's a larrikin and throw, throws himself out of nightclubs on tour. And <laughs> it's a great story um, where he, uh, he got kicked out of a club on one of the kangaroo tours in Leeds. And um, he, he tried to get back in. And um, he said, like, when he, went to, when he went to walk in, the uh, the doorman was seven feet. And he looked up at him and he grabbed himself by the collar and tossed himself out <laughs> in the footpath. I love that story. Yeah, That's him. But... Yeah, then there was, there was this deeply serious side to him that, yeah, that, um, where, he, where he was leading Penrith um, during the Super League era. Yeah. And we should talk about the other bloke whose name I think we've thrown out with, without really explaining who he is, Roger yeah. Cowan. Yeah, a few um, episodes ago um, you had a show dedicated to Bullfrog Moore. Um, he, he was basically our version of that. Um, very important, very, a great leader of the club for a long time. Um, it's a great story with him too. He was a, a centre and a winger for Penrith in the Parramatta Junior Grades. It must have been how it was in, you know, back, back in the day. And uh, he ended up you know, getting his dream job as a school teacher. He was a maths teacher from memory. 
he loved, loved it. Like, you know, that, that was his lot. And I don't know whether he was approached by Penrith or, or he stuck his hand up, but um, there was an opportunity for him to take the secretary role and now the CEO role of, of Penrith for three months. Um, that was in 1965, and he stayed there for 40 years. <laughs> so, so there you go. There must have been something about it, you know, that was better than uh, being a maths teacher. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, just a real stalwart. I think, I mean, I don't know how long Bullfrog was in charge of the Bulldogs, but would 40 years be some sort of record as far it, as... It, well, uh, some of those guys yeah. in the, the earlier era, they, they you know, were, were carried out in coffins. <laughs> But uh, 40 years would be up there. They'll get your emails yeah. coming in, won't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I think Bullfrog was only 25 years at Canterbury. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's who he was. He was the, the CEO at the time of the Super League approach um, and, and that kind of thing. And so obviously then another of the, the key drivers in eventually getting it over the line. Yeah. Um, and by, by the sounds of it, like Penrith had um, – they had a, a – they had to keep it quiet from the public for for you know quite a while because Super League didn't really Super League by the sounds of it was really uh, a little bit concerned about Penrith's links to the ARL. They they probably thought of you know you, you've signed with them twice like everybody else, you know w- why all this sudden interest in us? Mm. Like, and so the 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 leaking of of the information to Penrith had to be you know they they considered it they had to be you know careful themselves. Um, and I don't know whether you're going to get to it later on, but this upset the members um, and, and a lot of other people as well. When well, let's, yeah, let's yeah. let's deal deal with that now. The, so yeah, there was a real, um, you know, I, I you know how your memory changes over time. Um, I thought that back in the day when Penrith went Super League, that it was sort of it was a town divided. It was fifty fifty, you know. But yeah, it turns out that like judging by the um, newspaper clippings that I kept from the era. Yeah, a lot of Penrith people were really angry about it. A that it happened, and B that it happened uh, without their consent. Yeah, and you really get that feel from a lot of the you know letters to the editor and and um, and you know um, sort of vox pops that were made um, of the time from the two clubs for, um, from the two newspapers. And you, in your notes, you mentioned a, a, a you know a forum with the fans to you know, kind of explain the decision. Yeah. That seems to be something that a lot of the Super League clubs did who were met with that resistance or, you know, fan anger. Yep. And almost almost uh, in every case, they won the fans over by outlining their likely ARL future and saying, do you love your club? Yeah. Do you want us to stand alone? Do you want us to compete? Do you want us to have a chance to win comps? Yep. That's why we've gone to Super League. And it seems in most cases the fans could see that and eventually went along with it. Yeah, um, and Roger Cowan was the main driver of that as well, except he put a real, you know, Penrith slant on it. You know, those wankers from, from Sydney, they think they're better than you, and and they are. Um, do, you just want, do you want to keep competing against that or do you want a, a safe future where we're going to get lots of money and competing in this brand-new shiny league? And, yeah, it's, um, it seems to have worked because that the, the, it, was, it was a forum for members, that's right. The sponsors meeting was held two weeks after news came out that they signed with Super League and the members forum was held a couple of days after that. Yeah, it seems to have, um, yeah... Um, Silenced a lot of the rowdy voices that were against the move. Yeah. Where were you at at the time? Oh, I, I would have been um, 
living down uh, with mum and dad down oh, in the Southern But just Highlands. as a fan, what were you, you thinking about it all? Oh, I was the greatest supporter of Super League ever. Really? I, I, yeah. Um, I could not... Could not wait. I was hoping that Penrith would sign with Super League. Really? So as soon as Super League was announced, you were gung ho. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so what were your thoughts? Um, because I'd, I'd I'd gotten into the NFL at the time, and you know, you don't take into consideration that America isn't Australia when you're a teenager. You just look at all the massive stadiums and the Raiders and, and the Broncos and, and the Denver's and all that. Rugby league, in my eyes, wasn't really that far away as far as the team names go, and and yeah, it just you go, you guys talk on, about it on this show a lot. How where rugby league should be shouldn't be twelve or thirteen thousand people at Leichhardt. It should be each game in a mega stadium. Blah blah blah. Um, that was the the promise that Super League made to to pretty much everybody that if you come along for this ride, this is what's going to happen, you know, see how great your game can be sort of thing. Well, I think that was their catch cry. Mm. Um, I, I I ate all that up. I was so happy when Penrith signed and I was really worried. I remember um, in February when all those clubs signed the loyalty agreements again, that in my eyes was the death knell for Super League. Yeah. And then there was this second wave, and as you know, April Fool's Day, et cetera. Yeah. yeah so oh, I was over the moon when they signed. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, coming – from the other side, as I did, I was like ARL, uh, just so I guess a you know innate traditionalism within me. But yep. that February meeting, I, the sense of relief I felt when everyone decided they were staying with the ARL, yeah. I was yeah. just oh, thank God that's over. We can just get on with the footy and you know look forward to a great season in '95. <laughs> <laughs> but then, because I was so club focused, as soon as the St George East merger was proposed. I was just like, okay, Super League it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. But yeah, I mean, and as you've said before, as a kid you went with whatever your club was going through. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but, but there was such rivalry. Like I remember at school um, in year 10, 11, 12, we used to have games of footy tackle footy at lunch and we'd divide ourselves up into who supported ARL and who supported <laughs> Super League. It got really nasty there and, and we'd, we'd hang shit on each other and, oh, yeah, what's South's going to do? And, and, and they'd you know, call Super League a fake league and all that kind of thing. It, it, was, it was really quite interesting because 95 was our year 12 year. So we never really got to see, we got to hang around all the people who we bagged and who bagged us when the competition finally came mm. around, it was sort of off the cliff and then into the oblivion. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to, to get everybody's thoughts on that. Those are my favourite emails we get people telling us their memories of being at school and some, like, dumb fight starting out or, you know, being at a party and chanting ARL, you know. Uh, so if anyone has a story like that and hasn't sent it through, the rugby league digest at gmail.com because I, I love it. Yeah. It just... Because back then that was the main thing on your mind, wasn't it? Yeah. Like your, your life hadn't started yet. Yeah. This footy thing's happening. It's causing chaos. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's pick a team. Yeah. So one of the challenges that Penrith had to overcome in going to Super League was the very rugby league signing players signing two contracts with a number of Panthers players first signing with the ARL yep. and then having to go back uh, and then going back and signing with Super League. So mm. uh, my favourite story is John Cartwright going to Phillip Street, uh, you know, after April Fool's Day, yeah. getting offered $75,000 from Gus, initially turning it down saying, oh, I'm going to retire, mate. You don't have to look after me. And, and Gus, you know, saying, no, 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 come on, sign with us. 
you've earned it. Think of all you've done in, done in the game. You've earned your seventy five grand. <laughs> yeah. oh, John God. Cartwright breaking down in tears with gratitude in Gus's office. Really thanking him, thanking the ARL for everything rugby league has done yeah. uh, for him, and then having to sheepishly turn up at Gus's house a month later and, and say, "Oh, I'm actually going to Super League." <laughs> That's great. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because a lot of players did that, didn't they? Um, and then there was legal action and yeah. uh, that the ARL took. Um, how did that go? Like, was that quashed pretty easily or by the various play like defences? I, I actually know? haven't got gone. I mean, I haven't got to the Penrith court case yet. Oh, okay, but I, I, I think involved like seven or eight. Players yeah, there were seven or eight players. So. Yeah. Obviously, they were allowed to play with Penrith, but I yeah. can't. I haven't got to whether it was uh, they won the case or it was just dropped with the ARL winning the legal fight, yeah. or maybe the ARL winning the legal fight stopped the oh. that court action from being valid. And maybe it didn't so, matter by the time Super League finally arrived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah who knows? Yeah. Um, uh, I've got a Carrite story of my own. Um, on the back page of the Penrith Press, I think it was the, the day after the the members meeting that was held where all the angry members wanted to know why the decision was made without um, them them being consulted. Um, so there's about 600 members in Reactor One room. Reactor One's a very famous um, nightclub out at Penrith. And uh, John Cartwright was the, was one of the only players that were that was in amongst the 600 members. And um, he expressed, I don't know, it was really confusing because he shared how confused he was still about his decision that he'd made even on his way to that members meeting. Like, you know, he signed with Super League and he's still um, umming and ahhing as to whether he made the right decision and he finally settles the whole crowd, you know, and says, oh, I'm, you know, I, I did the right thing. I'm staying with Penrith. But imagine, like, the indecisiveness. Yeah. Of, you've signed three contracts now and you're still unsure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. I guess the other questions, I've got a couple more questions for you. A... Did you get a Panthers Super League jersey? Oh, I certainly did. Have yes. you still got it? Certainly have. Yes, <laughs> I should have worn it here tonight. Where Where does that? Because the the Panthers have had some great jerseys and some horrendous jerseys. Yep. Where do you put that one? Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty, <laughs> the worst one that I'm always putting out on Twitter is um I think from 1998 and it was um turquoise. It had purple sleeves. Purple turtle print sleeves on it. It just nothing about it said Penrith Panthers. It was yeah, a disgrace. But the thing that really confused me about some of the jerseys in Super League was that some of them were the same except they were different colours. Yeah, Penrith and the Warriors were basically the same. Yeah, I don't know. You'd think for this you know billion dollar league, um, they'd come up with really different designs. But yeah, that, that really confused me. Yeah. I hated it and. Andrew and I have had to retire this debate from the podcast because we're, you know, diametrically opposed and we'll never come to any common ground. I hate those jerseys so much. Like, just the sameness of them. There's, to me, it's just so soulless. Yeah, there was um, the two new clubs that came in, Adelaide and Hunter Mariners. They basically had the same design. Yeah. So they've gone, oh, we'll make one blue and gold and the other one red and blue. She'll be right. And then that S in the middle. The the, the prominence of the <laughs> S in the middle yeah. on every jersey. Yeah. And I know the thinking was that we're selling Super League. This is, you know, this is the the brave new era. This is the shiny product. But yeah. that's not how people engage with rugby league. No, no. When you like minimize the club to maximize the the competition, 
Like no one cares. <laughs> it was funny. Like, and even with the team names, there were there was there were rumours that they were going to be called Super League Brisbane, Super yeah. League Canberra. That yeah, exactly backing up what you just said. Just gen- just generic, bland names. Mm. It, it wouldn't have worked that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, just still on the jerseys. One of my my most vivid memory, probably the first one that comes to mind when someone says Super League is Brandy Alexander's number 55 jersey that he had in Super League. Because like, he came back relatively late yeah. um, to Penrith, and that must have been the only number left. And they, the players carried the same number really? throughout the whole year. Yeah, I think that was a merchandise thing or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Number 55. Oh, like, wow. Greg Alexander. Yeah. <laughs> it was just – it didn't work. It looked stupid. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> I wonder if there's any of those floating around on eBay. That's a – Oh, there's got to be. Some, yeah, there'd have to be. You know you know how you used to iron on the numbers? On yeah, there? yeah. Yeah, there'd be a few of them around. But, um, yeah, it was the first time Nike Rugby League jerseys. That was another – and they were, they were made out of that silky sort of stuff that doesn't really breathe on your skin. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know whether I'd fit into that. <laughs> but I've got it all. I've got um, lots of memorabilia. I've got um, a cap from the World Club Challenge uh, that my brother used to wear around. And um, I've got a Super League ball that's signed by pretty much every Penrith player. And I've got loads of stuff. It's um, it was it was a good sort of memorabilia. Era, so it? you you maintained like a keen interest during the Super League year. You you weren't one of those people disaffected by the game. No, no, I'd made sure I got to as many games as possible. Um, went to all the World Club Challenge matches as well that we yeah, right. hosted, and we we got knocked out even though we won all yeah. six games <laughs> on for and against. Um, um, I always remember my dad and I are really good mates, um, and we used to go to the footy a, a lot. Um, but he hated Super League. He was absolutely against, you know, Rupert Murdoch News Limited. He used to read the papers and get angry at how the game was being re- reported on. Um, yeah, and, and for that year, we, we never went to a game yeah. together. So, yeah, it was quite a little um, bitchy little thing we had going on. <laughs> so were you following the ARL at the same time? I can't remember whether I was. I must have been because I'd, I started at the Golden Post. Yeah, I, I must have. Um I was at the Golden Post for 96, um, and, yeah, 97 was a Super League year. Um, and that's the other thing, too. Like, it, it, it created divisions everywhere. Mm. In our paper, we had two tipping comps, one for Super League and one for the ARL competition. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was right across the board, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So when we've talked about the Sharks, we always say how lucky they were to sign with Super League. I don't think we're talking about a standalone Cronulla team going into the 21st century if they stayed with the ARL. Where do you see Penrith's destiny if they sign with the ARL? Oh, they probably would have joined up with somebody simply because um, all, all of the the interstate teams had gone with Super League. And one of Super League's big criticisms of the ARL was that it was going to be a Sydney-only mm. competition. Um, and I think... Uh, I'm so glad that the two comps came together for the ARL's sake as well because that competition would, would have been really hard to sell to sponsors. Yeah. A Sydney-only competition in, in the, the mid to late 90s. We all joke, uh, you know, and brag, joke, and, you know, that we all want Newtown back and we all want the Bears back and we all want all those Sydney clubs to come back, but there's nothing, it's not really no. sensible. There's nothing, you know, rational about any of that. So, yeah, I'd say they would have eventually joined up with... I'll pick a club. I reckon they would have joined up with uh, the Magpies. Yeah, that that would be my pick yeah, as well. Um, that would have made a, a little bit of sense, but luckily 
that didn't have to happen at the time. It, it would have, at least you would have been going into that in a position of strength, and, yeah. and I, I think it's the only way those situations work is that there's a clear pecking order as to who's you know you know who's running this club. Yeah, yeah, and, and the whole thing again is just complete madness because Penrith is so big that you could probably afford to buy all, all, all of the Sydney teams and and do whatever it wanted with them. Mm. But again, with West and Penrith, they're far apart themselves, you know, geographically. Um, so, yeah, again, so glad it didn't happen that way. So that that's probably a good note to leave it on. So uh, thanks so much for coming in for this, James. Oh, no, thanks for having me. I'm a massive fan of this show. Um, I think the body of work that you guys have created over the, you know, even before the Super League stuff with your history corners and, you know, it's it's... It's yeah. As we started the show with, it's it's for history nerds. It's for people who you know get right down in, into the nitty gritty of the game, and it suits the podcast you know platform so well. Like and yeah, I just want to congratulate you two guys on on everything that you've done, and hopefully you keep powering on. Oh, well, thanks a lot, mate. That's uh, yeah, means a lot to hear that. Some, sometimes it, it it takes that encouragement to keep powering on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it's very important to both of us. So, yeah, thanks for saying that. And uh, for any Penrith fans especially, I would love to hear your thoughts. As I said, uh, the Rugby League Digest at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure you're following at James1001. That, that is right, isn't it? Yeah, that is right, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought I'd make a joke of it, and I tried James Smith 1, 2, 3, got up to about 30 or 40, and thought this wasn't working. <laughs> so 1,001 wasn't taken, so that was a relief. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so as I said, mandatory Twitter follow, uh, and thanks so much for coming in, James. No worries at all. Okay, so that's this week's show. Just wanted to thank James Smith once again for making the effort to uh, come and have a chat. I really enjoyed that discussion. Hope you all did as well. Uh, just to let you know, next week will be a research week. The next chapter we have coming is the one that was the hardest to put together. It was, unlike most of the other chapters we've done so far and the ones that are still to come, I had to basically build this episode from scratch over the past six weeks or so. It was a topic that I knew would have to be covered in some way, but I didn't know precisely what we were going to do with it. And so we eventually decided it deserved a chapter of its own, uh, which caused some some extra work behind the scenes. And it's nearly there. We've got uh, one research week to just get the finishing touches on it. So we'll be back live with the next chapter in a fortnight's time. Uh, and so we'll speak to you then. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.